Numbers 13, 1 through 3, and also verses 25 through 32. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were the leaders of the Israelites. And then skipping down to verses 25 through 32, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have a few housekeeping things to take care of before the message. Uh, first, uh, some of you know I got lots of emails and text messages from people in the church that my, uh, my mom passed away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she was 91, godly woman, and uh, we're mourning her loss, and the church has been so kind to me. So many of you sent lovely messages of condolence and heartfelt care. So thanks so much for that. It's like a, we live in Temecula, but we feel like our church family is, you know, part of it's here. Uh, the other thing is I wanted to thank you for the support that you've given to Every Generation Ministries. Some of you maybe are new to the church or something. Uh, I start, well, God started EGM in 1993 and let me be part of that. And EGM works today in, I think, 17 countries. And it establishes teams in a country that are governed and staffed and funded from the local Christian community there. And they train children's workers in churches and they produce Bible teaching materials for their children's ministry work. And this church has been a big part of that since the ministry started uh, financially and praying for the ministry and sending teams to work with the ministry. So I just wanted to say thank you to the church on behalf of the entire EGM team around the world for the great support you've given to the ministry for so many years. Thank you so much for that. Uh, really excited to be, oh, there's one other thing. I, uh, Moffitt Zimba is with us. Moffitt, stand up and we should <laughs> greet him. So glad to see you. <laughs> All right, well, I'm really excited to do this uh, message this morning because it was really a bad week. I think I had the worst ministry experience of my entire life on Thursday. And I've been doing ministry for 40 years. So here's what happened. In August, Marla works at a Christian school in uh, Temecula. It's a large school. And in August, they have like that week before the kids come, they do all the training, you know, and stuff with the teachers. And 
they have these meetings and they invite all the administrative staff, the security people, the maintenance, everybody comes and they have some motivational speaker talk and they invited me to do it this year. And so I did it, you know, as best I could. And when it was over, the junior high um, principal came up to me and said, oh, that was great. Will you come teach at our junior high chapel? And in some sort of moment of delusion or something, I said, yes. So Thursday, I found myself standing just like this in front of 300 middle schoolers. It was the worst thing ever, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, so, so I've stood up in front of over 10,000 people in Africa. I've talked to groups of 500, 1,000 children. Standing up in front of 300 middle schoolers is just no bueno. <laughs> And beforehand, you're watching them. You know, they're good kids too, but they're junior hires. And they're like goosing each other and the boys. And oh man, it was like, so thank you for being here. It's so nice to see not 300 junior hires. All right, well, today's message is out of a passage that's had an enormous impact in my life over my years of ministry, uh, particularly when I was a young leader. And the, the passage we're gonna look at has a lot to say about remembering. And I have a problem with that. I am not good at remembering. I'm actually a very forgetful person. I actually, I have an older, older brother who's a professor and Marla got frustrated with me one time and said, you're like your absent-minded brother professor, but you're not that smart. Because <laughs> I lose a lot of stuff, I'm telling you. So how many of you men have ever had to ask your wife, where is my mobile phone? Oh, you are so, I see the women are elbowing you. <laughs> so we pull into our garage and I can't find my phone. And the last thing you want to ask your wife is, do you know where my phone is? Because it means you've lost it. So I'm trying every, but I can't. So finally, Marla, do you know by chance where my phone is? And then I didn't know that there's that stalker app that she can follow me and find out where I'm at and everything. <laughs> So she gets out her phone. I'm like, oh no, this is not good. And then she looks at it and looks at me stone faced and says, looks like it's in the third lane of the 15 freeway. <laughs> so, well, what happened? It was, it was in about the third lane. We drove out there to try and find it. It was dark out and so on. I got gas in Fallbrook and they put it on the top of the car. Now my wife has told me a thousand times, never put anything on the top of the car because it's going to be trouble potentially. But you know, I forgot that. So I put it on the top. I made it all the way to the last exit and to get off the 15 in Temecula and it apparently slid off the top of the car. We went down there and I have like the credit cards in the fold open thing with my license and everything. I found my license and two credit cards on the shoulder. The phone's out there like three rows out, you know, three lanes, and they're like, boom, 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 my phone. You've seen them run over your phone's just not good. <laughs> so I have a problem with memory, remembering things, both short-term and long-term. And so the passage we're going to look at, I want you, if you don't remember anything else we talk about today, has to do with forgetting and memory. So before we look at um, Numbers 13 and 14, I'm going to try and give you the background of the passage going all the way back to Genesis, because it's really important to kind of get a feel for the history coming up to their sending the 12 spies into the land. So let me give it to you this way. So there's those series of stories in the Genesis account 
where somebody sins like Adam and Eve, then God judges them, and then there's some show of grace. Cain and Abel, he kills Abel. Cain's sent out, but he's marked so that he won't be persecuted. Then there's the um, Noah incident. The grace is the ark, but people are destroyed in the flood. But God starts it over again with Noah. Then you get to the Tower of Babel story, and all the peoples are cast out over the earth, and there's no, no Noah, no grace. The question is, what's God going to do now? Because the experiment, the creation experiment, is not going well. And the answer is, in the very next chapter, God's solution to our fallen world is to call Abraham. And he makes a promise to Abraham, three promises. I'm going to make your descendants abundant, like the stars in the sky, the sand on the sea. I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations, and I'm going to give you a land to live in. This is a promise God makes to Abraham. The rest of the Genesis account is about the, the passing down of that blessing to Isaac, then to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. One of them they become jealous of. They sell Joseph off into slavery in Egypt. Joseph forgives his brothers during a famine and drought. The brothers bring the dad, and they're all reunited in Egypt. It's this beautiful show of grace and mercy. They're being a blessing to the nation of Egypt. Their descendants are becoming numerous, but they are not in the land. The Pharaoh gets old, Joseph gets old and dies, several generations go by, and they go from being guests in Egypt to becoming slaves. And they're living in slavery in Egypt, probably thinking God forgot the promises to Abraham. A little baby's born, the Pharaoh's trying to wipe out the population a bit, so he's killing all the firstborn, but this baby is saved in the Nile River. His name was Moses. He ends up being the leader that God calls to take his people out of slavery in Egypt. God uses Moses to bring 10 plagues on the Egyptians. God uses the last plague of killing the firstborn across Egypt to finally force the Pharaoh to let those people leave. And we all saw Charlton Heston lead them out. They get to the sea, Pharaoh decides, bad idea, I'm not going to let him go. Sends his army out, God parts the sea, the Israelites march across, the Pharaoh's army pursues them, God causes the sea to collapse and wipes out one of the greatest military powers in the Mediterranean. Then by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, with manna and quail and water coming from rocks, he leads them to Mount Sinai. He comes down on the mount and hand writes the Ten Commandments and says, this is how I want my people to live. Then he says, go north, and they travel up to the edge of the promised land, and he tells Moses, choose 12 leaders to go in and check out the land. See what it's like. See what the ground's like, what the weather's like, who lives there like a big reconnaissance group. And that's where our story picks up. The 12 spies go into the land. They return. The report starts out okay, but then it quickly goes south. And in Numbers 14, we see how the people responded to the report. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Numbers 14. We heard the report in the Bible reading. This is what it does to the people of Israel. All the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. 
And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we would have died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So the effect of the report is they're weeping all night. They're grumbling and complaining about Moses and Aaron, it says. They want to get rid of them and elect a new leader. They regret having left their slavery situation in Egypt and wish they were back enslaved. And they're afraid that the women and the children are going to die in the promised land at the hands of their enemies. And the only way to describe the behavior of the Israelites is some kind of mass group hysteria. I mean, they're like weeping all night. It's like this emotional outpouring of panic and hysterical behavior. And the question is why? Why did they respond that way to the report? And I want to suggest that the reason they responded the way they did was because they forgot everything that God had done prior to that, leading them to the edge of the promised land. They're facing a challenge in the land. They know there's going to be difficulties ahead. And instead of remembering everything that God had done in their lives as a people, they forgot all of that and, were filled, and opened themselves to really bad things happening. And that's the first thing I want to suggest to you this morning, is when we forget what God has done in our lives to this day, we open ourselves to very bad things happening, which we're about to see in this passage. When we're facing difficulties and challenges in life, in our families, in our homes, in our businesses, with our health, in ministry, whatever challenge and difficulty you're standing before, if you don't remember what God's done in the past, you are setting yourself up for a series of catastrophic failures. And that's what happened to the Israelites, and that's what led to the mass hysteria. And I have to tell you that preparing the message, I've been so convicted about this because I am, Marla knows, I am an inveterate worrier and filled with anxiety. I remember some of you know we, we have a daughter, and then we couldn't have more children, and... You know, I, and I love children. My whole life's dedicated to children. I was so discouraged and just, it was a horrible time in my life. And then out of nowhere, we got a call from a Bible study in Poland from a nurse that was in the Bible study, had a baby, a mom who had had a baby with a 13-month-old already. And she was trying to give the baby to a family before it went into the orphanage system. We ended up bringing him to our house, and he's now 32 years old, lives in Texas, married and having a baby. All along in that process, though, at every turn, when the woman's handler tried to extort money from us, I was filled with anxiety and fear because I continued to forget all the things that God had done along the way 
in the life of that little boy. And when you forget what God's done in your life, you open yourself up to very bad things happening. And the first one we see in chapter 14. The report that they give is really filled with fear. In verse 32 of chapter 13, it talks about the giants. The descendants of Anak are the giants. That's what that is. There are these huge people living there. And it says in verse 28, they're powerful people. And they live in fortified cities, they reported. And then they say the land, the land itself will devour you. And that's the report that they give to the Israelites. And the Israelites accept that and are filled with fear about the future. And that's what happens when you forget what God has done in the past. You are filled with fear about the future because you've forgotten everything he's done. And all you see is the shoe dropping, the bad thing, the cup half empty, all the terrible things that can happen. And fear grips our lives, in our relationships, in our health, in our careers, in our families, in our finances. Fear begins to dominate because we forget what God has done in the past. So EGM has a lot of work around the world in countries where there's Christians being treated really badly. Uh, Lebanon, you know, you can imagine right now a catastrophe. Jordan, Egypt, India, Belarus. And the ministry in Belarus has had a lot of experience with persecution and bad things happening. And if there was a ministry that would live in fear, it would be the Belarusians if they had. But what you find in those countries is stories told all the time about what God's done in the past to remind them that we don't have to be afraid going forward because this is what God has done in the past. One of my friends in Belarus was a young boy in the 60s. They were meeting, their church met in an apartment in the flat, about five, 600 square feet. Ten couples, five or six kids met for Sunday school in the kitchen. Middle of February, the KGB found out about the meeting in the church and raided the apartment. And they took away all the children from their mothers and fathers. He told me he remembered their parents crying, especially the moms. They were stealing the government, taking away their children. They took them out. They put them in one of those old communist vans. They drove out. There was six feet of snow on the ground. They drove about two or three kilometers outside of their village, dropped the kids out and said, if you believe in God, let him take care of you. Shut the door and drove away and left those children to freeze to death. He said that they tried to figure which way to go down the road and they started down the road and then an old man like appeared out of nowhere, kind of had a long hair and a beard and he walked with them and he knew where to turn and which road to go down. He said it was disorienting with all the snow. And soon he like walked him right back into their town and walked him right back to the building where his parents' flat was. They went through the door and the guy just like disappeared around the corner and was gone. Now these are all a bunch of Baptists in Eastern Europe and they don't tell stories like this. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really believe in like the miraculous and stuff. And, 
He said, when we were walking up the steps, we realized the whole time we were with that man, we all felt warm. <laughs> they shared that with their parents, and they determined that it was an angel of the Lord that had walked them home. And that when the KGB officer said, if you believe in God, let him take care of you, he did. And when you face persecution and difficulty in the future, you can count on the same God that did that to be the God that's leading you through that challenge and difficulty. When you forget, you're filled with fear. And that's what happened to the Israelites. Forgetting what God's done in your life can lead to a life of fear. The first problem. The second one is, as they're standing before the entrance into the land and they hear this report, they have no confidence whatsoever that God could do something amazing. They have no faith in God doing anything of significance at all. Because when you forget what God's done in the past, you have no faith or confidence in what he might do in the future. And you forget that our God is a God who can do anything Anything he needs to do, wants to do, he can do. Jeremiah was just listening on the Bible walking a couple days ago where Jeremiah says, the Lord can do anything. And they had forgotten that. So amazing, we know on this side of the story that when they did finally go into the land 40 some years later, and the first fortified city they came to was Jericho, they march around the city seven times and the walls fall down. It's not a problem for God. He had just wiped out, with no help from them, the entire Egyptian army, which was one of the greatest military machines in the Middle East, with no problem. But because they forgot that, they're living with no confidence of God being able to do something in the future. When we forget what God's done, we live in fear and we lose faith in God, being able to do the very things that he does. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not gonna have any problems and life will be full of bliss and happiness, but it does mean that God is always with us and whatever he chooses to do, he's able to do. And we can trust him and have confidence in him because of what we've seen him do in the past. Well, this is a big problem for me because I'm really bad about this one. Marla got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, it's, it's a bummer, especially the food. Now, anybody here have a... The rheumatoid arthritis diet's no, no bueno. Um, I have a friend, he's here today, who's... He has a food theory, which I ascribe to now. If it tastes good, it's bad for you. If it tastes bad, it's good for you. <laughs> so we're now on this rheumatoid arthritis diet thing, you know. And so Marla has the medication she's taking, the diet, exercise. And she's um, gone for three weeks today with no flare-ups at all. Where, you know, she gets painful flare-ups, really bad. Those of you who know about rheumatoid arthritis know what I'm talking about. Well, you know what my reaction to that is? The big one's coming. The shoe's going to drop. Can't go three weeks in one day. That's what I start thinking. You forget all the things God's done in the past. 
And you start thinking, well, you can't keep doing that. Three weeks is a long time. Three weeks and one day is probably too much to ask. And that's the way we live life. Instead of believing that God could do something in your family, in your business, in your relationships with people, in your ministry work, we start thinking about what he can't do and we lose confidence in God's ability to do whatever he would choose to do. The second problem, when we forget about what God's done in the past, we lose faith in God and his ability to work in the future. The third thing, which is really bad and is sort of the crux of the story here is, when you forget what God's done in the past, you lay yourself opening to following bad leadership. Because you've forgotten God and how God leads and who God's leaders are, you start to follow people who are not leading you in godliness. They're leading you down a road of ungodliness, as was the case with the 10 spies. And let's be clear. Moses did not send in two awesome dudes, Joshua and Caleb, and 10 losers. Did you hear the reading? They chose the 12 best leaders in Israel. It was 12 people that were tribal leaders that were sent into the land. And Joshua and Caleb had to stand up and act with integrity and with hope and without fear and with faith in God in the face of 10 leaders who were filled with fear, had no faith in God, and were leading the people astray. When you forget what God's done in your life, you set yourself up for following bad leadership and even providing bad leadership, like the 10 spies. That's how I first was introduced to this passage. The first church that I worked in, I was the children's pastor. I was 25 years old. It was this big church, and we had a you know, couple thousand children. It was, you know, I was like, at the time, it was like the dream of my life to be the, I thought I'd be the children's pastor the rest of my life to this day. And the senior pastor of the church had some morality issues, and it was really bad. And there was one other leader in the church, on the staff of the church with me, who thought, that's not okay. And I was 25. And I remember thinking, why is it that this pastor who's been a missionary for 15 years in the Philippines thinks it is okay? And why is it that all the other leaders in the church, on the staff of the church, think it's okay? And I was so intimidated that it was just me and one other guy. I went on vacation. I was feeling physically ill. It was so stressful. We came home, and I decided I'm going to go visit Chuck Swindoll's church. Now, I know some of you probably don't know who he is, but he was a really famous pastor in Orange County in those days. And so Marlon and I went to the church, and I thought, oh my goodness, she called him ahead of time because he got this passage out. And he taught, and his whole point was there were 12 spies that went in, and they were all leaders. And only Joshua and Caleb stood up and said what needed to be said and stand on God's behalf. And the other 10, to quote Chuck Swindoll, folded like a cheap ladder. When you forget what God's done in the past, you lay yourself open to following bad leadership and moving in a direction that's actually away from God's purposes for you. 
Well, then there's the heroes of the story, one of whom my son is named after. In chapter 1330, we heard it, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. A man of faith and courage and conviction because he remembered what God had done. And then we read again, Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 14, six through nine. Let me read it. It's one of the great passages. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, their mourning over Israel's response, said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Do you see that? He'll give it to us, just like he promised. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua and Caleb remembered what God had done and therefore they were not filled with fear. They believed in what God could do and they were going to follow God and provide godly leadership themselves because they remembered what God had done. I have a friend who has a post-it note in his office. All it says on it is, remember. Because it's such an enormous message for Christians today. If you think about the situation that they were in, this is what Caleb and Joshua understood. The God who brought the 10 plagues and freed us from Egypt, that parted the Red Sea, that wiped out the Pharaoh's army, that brought quail, manna, and water from rocks, that led us by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, took us to Mount Sinai and gave, him, gave us handwritten commandments. This God did not bring us to the border of the promised land to let us die here. That makes no sense whatsoever. God would not do that. That's not the God we remember. And because they remembered what God had done, they were filled with confidence in God, with hope, and were ready to lead God's people and provide godly leadership to them. We can't forget what God's done in our life. So if you're facing some crisis or challenge in your life, with your children, your spouse, relationships, your business activity, if you're a teacher teaching like my wife, whatever it is that you're doing, you have challenges and difficulties. The message today is to remember what God's done in the past because you can rely on him going forward. Such a crucial message, myself included. A few years ago, when I was still running EGM, I, was, I got anxious a lot. And I was standing on the beach. We didn't have money. It was after the end of the year. And we didn't, it was bad financial giving at year end. And I was all stressed out, which was not uncommon. I got stressed out a lot about money. And I'm looking out at the ocean, trying to get perspective, you know, but still filled with anxiety. The mission had work in lots of countries. You got employees that make not very much. And 
they don't have a lot of discretionary spending. I'm thinking about their kids and, you know, the weight, all that. Anybody here that's ever run a business or whatever, same principle, you know, it's just stressful. I'm looking out all stressed out and Marla, God's gift to me, got right up behind me in this ear and whispered, God's provided the money for the ministry for 25 years. I think you could probably count on him again. <laughs> like mic drop. <laughs> and that's the message today. We all have our challenges and difficulties. There's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. But when we remember what God's done, we can count on him going forward. He's faithful and reliable. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. And we are thankful for all the amazing things that you've done in our lives, not the least of which is the forgiveness of sins that we can experience, the new life that you give us, the way you walk with us every day so faithfully. God, I pray that today would be a good day to remember all the wonderful things that you've done for us and who you are and how much we count on you and all the things you've done in the past so that as we go forward by faith, we will be reminded we can count on you and not live in fear and not live without faith or confidence and be filled with hope and follow you faithfully as you lead us as Joshua and Caleb did. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.